You are now listening to Let's Talk Trees, a podcast brought to you by C4 and Ecraft with me, Anggi Cahyanintias. Today, we will take you a little closer to the sea and discuss the invaluable role of mangrove forests to the earth and millions of people living along the coastlines. Joining us from Bogor is Daniel Murdiarsa, C4 Principal Scientist, and we also have Matt McClucky, Planet Tracker Director of Research, joining us from London. Hi, Daniel. Hi, Matt. Very happy to have you. Hi, Anggi. Happy to have you, too. Hi, Angie. I'm very, it's an honor to be joining. Uh, the pleasure is ours, really. So we will start off this discussion by exploring what is a mangrove forest and why it is important. I'll go first to Daniel, because you've been to mangrove forests a lot of time. And I'll go back to Matt once we touch the issues uh, from the economic perspective. Daniel, can you tell our audience um, what does a mangrove forest look like, how it feels to be there, and then tell us more about your work? Well, it's not it's not a very nice environment to work with. It's a lot of mosquitoes. It's very stingy, and um, basically people tend to avoid this uh, forest. Uh, that's why, in in general term, it is a marginalized uh, land, and people try to get rid of it. So the effort to to remove this is quite quite common uh, for different reasons, and most of them are for economic development. So I've been working in many places in Indonesia as well as uh, around the world. I've been working in 25 countries uh, looking at the carbon perspective of mangrove. Wow, we've been to mangrove forest in 25 countries. Um, that's a lot. So can you tell us more about this, um, as you say, underrated ecosystem? What are the importance of mangrove forest for the earth and the surrounding communities? Well, mangrove is a very unique ecosystem, yes. Um, the earth has around 13 million hectares and um, 3 million are in Indonesia. So we have almost a quarter of the world mangroves here. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us, uh, aside from Indonesia, what countries that also have it? Maybe you can tell us a little bit Well, more the second largest uh, country with mangrove is... Um, Australia and then Brazil and uh, western and eastern coast of Africa we've been working with partners there as well most of our work are dealing with assessment of carbon stock and uh, the pressure that they are facing in terms of uh, changing land use so the importance of mangrove I can I can see it from the climate change perspective was uh, mitigation and adaptation because it stores so much carbon in it about 1500,000 tons per hectare and that is about three to five times higher than terrestrial forests so if it is kept uh, or conserved nicely they they will keep uh, so much carbon there but when it is deforested or converted, then this carbon will be gradually emitted. So that's mitigation. Then from adaptation side, uh, mangrove play a very important role in trapping sediment so that if we have protected mangrove, uh, we can be sure that uh, sediment trapping occurs there and mangrove will have the chance to build the land and uh, with a relatively high rate in terms of sedimentation higher than sea level rise rate. So uh, having mangrove will ensure uh, the coastal zone will be adapting to the climate change. 
especially silver rice. Thank you. So that's from climate change perspective. Um, but now looking from the economic point of view, how does mangrove affect the livelihoods of people living in the coastal zone? Can you tell us more about that? Sure. Yeah. Well, mangrove is a perfect place for fish to breed. So that's where they they lay their eggs and um, juvenile live there, protected by the uh, root system of mangrove from the predator. So it's been very tremendous uh, role for local fishing community uh, if they have to run this near coast uh, fishery instead of aquaculture or, or capture of fishery. And um, it's also protecting the coastal zone from storm and surges, from wave, from current. So having mangrove in low-lying coastal zone is really very important for coastal community itself. Okay, so what are the threats that may harm this unique ecosystem? Well, um, among other threats, unsustainable aquaculture is the most important one because the way it is developed or established is not only cutting the forest or deforestation, but also excavating the soil. And then when it is not productive anymore, the aquaculture will move on so that the deforestation and excavation will take place in another, another place. Another threat that is uh, upcoming now is infrastructure and agricultural development. That's related to development of road, hotel, tourist areas, and also um, oil palm. So oil palm also encroaching um, mangrove or coastal forests as well. Thank you so much, Daniel, for explaining to us. Um, now I'll give you a breather and move to Matt because uh, now we've shifted from, you know, talking about mangrove and touch the economic perspective. Uh, Planet Tracker has published a report addressing this issue. Can you elaborate more on that? But maybe first you can tell us uh, about Planet Tracker. Definitely, and uh, just for a means of background, so to briefly explain who Planet Tracker are. Planet Tracker is a non-profit financial think tank based in, in London in the UK. And what we do is we seek to produce research that aligns investor capsule uh, with planetary limits. And ultimately, what our thesis is that there is a distinct lack of transparency and effective disclosure and awareness uh, around certain productive sectors in, around the world for environmental issues by investors. And by this, we mean investors simply are not aware of how natural capital and the environment has an impact on, on their investment uh, flows and their inv investment value. And so one of the sectors that we're focusing in on are oceans. And as part of oceans, we look at the wild catch industry and we also look at the aquaculture industry. And you may be very familiar with the, the story of wild catch fishing and the fact that the, the total production of fish from the oceans is, is actually uh, stagnating. And because of this, both producers and their investors are turning towards aquaculture to fill the supply gap. Within the aquaculture sector, shrimp is the most valuable traded farm seafood commodity uh, around the world. 
And in 2018, it was worth approximately $45 billion uh, in terms of revenue. And that, that's across both uh, private companies, small um, scale producers, but also public stock exchange listed companies who are the focus of our research. And what we've seen is this prolific growth in, in shrimp production as, as part of the aquaculture industry as a whole. Now, one of the costs of that growth that we're focusing on as part of this discussion and we um, bring to light in our report, Shellshocked, are the, the impacts of deforestation for shrimp producers. Now, as Daniel mentioned, and as a number of academic studies have shown, is that approximately 30% of mangrove deforestation and coastal land use change in Southeast Asia has been attributed to shrimp farming. This represents a significant risk for not only the environment, but also the revenue of shrimp farmers and also the, the sort of profits and, and investment um, value of, of investors in those um, shrimp farmers. And what does that mean um, for shrimp farmers itself? Well, focusing on some very specific issues. So the first one being regulation. So for shrimp farmers, historical and future deforestation represents a, a significant regulatory risk. And this primarily comes in the form of import restrictions that are historically being adopted um, by major import markets around the world. The EU, for example, so the European Union, is the largest importer of shrimp. And between 2000 and 2018, imported around just under, well, just under $120 billion worth of, of shrimp from Southeast Asia. So it's a significant um, importing trade partner. However, the EU has um, started to introduce a series of uh, pieces of legislation that look to address um, the import of commodities that have come from uh, areas that have been deforested. So to look at a, a few, there's the Action Plan on Deforestation and uh, Forest Degradation. Uh, France, for example, as an as a individual state, has adopted the National Strategy Against Imported Deforestation. And this aims by 2030 to put to an end to um, the imports of any products that have come from deforested areas, which would include um, farmed shrimp. And so deforestation and um, related sort of regulation is, is going to have a bearing on, on trade. Uh, and this is at a, at a sovereign country level. We're also seeing certain companies. So, for example, the wholesale buyers such as Nestle are transitioning to deforestation free supply chains. So suddenly any shrimp grown on, on deforested areas won't actually be permitted into um, the supply chains of, of these major companies. So so I think in terms of so that's one key key risk that these companies face. It's basically it's trade restrictions um, being driven by regulation. Uh, that focus on deforestation-related um, shrimp. Very briefly, uh, two other areas that uh, looks at, and we're continuing to research at Planet Tracker, are the first one is coastal instability. As Daniel mentioned, deforestation uh, results in greater coastal instability um, due to loss of keystone habitats. Um, this, in turn, can leave coastal areas more vulnerable to instances such as storm damage, and what this can do is it can um, exacerbate uh, financial losses for companies. So say, for example, certain companies may not be insured against um, storm-related or uh, damage or, or coastal um, uh, decline damage. Uh, those companies that are insured may face higher premiums. So this will come at a greater direct cost to companies. 
And finally, coastal um, uh, degradation and deforestation, as we know, also results in more um, stability and uh, growing instances and severity of disease. And disease obviously comes at a, a higher cost to shrimp farmers uh, as they have to apply more antibiotics, as they have to um, deal with more uh, shrimp-based losses. So I think those three key points are, are key takeaways from the report. The first one being trade and regulatory um, issues. The second one related to coastal uh, stability and how that can impact, um, for example, the, the operating margins of companies through insurance premiums. And the third one is um, how companies um, are exposed to increasing costs around uh, managing disease. Thank you, Matt. So the deforestation does not only affect climate and the community, but also the industry players, uh, be it smallholders or the big companies. Yeah, uh, Daniel, do you have anything to say about this? Well, the deforestation rate is not a good predictor of stream production. Uh, the three top uh, stream production, like Thailand, Vietnam, and Indonesia has different uh, history of deforestation, uh, but the export of, of stream is still increasing. Uh, Thailand has stopped the deforestation perhaps 10, 20 years ago, but the, the export uh, number keep increasing because they put a lot of inputs in the system so that they manage to produce so much stream for export market. So um, in some countries, it's flattening off because the, uh, they cannot afford to, you know, bring in inputs to it. So I guess the um, regulatory framework from the importing countries should look at the in a broader kind of uh, perspective with regard to uh, the stability of the coastline and including the health of the coastal zone as well as the open ocean due to this uh, various pollutant caused by the input to the system. The, the reason of having a pond close to the sea really is to get this mixture of fresh and uh, saline water so that they, they have to remove this, this mangrove. So um, it's been done for a long time ago, but they keep increasing the, the export and productivity because they, they are able to you know, bring in the input. To it, so that the, the production is 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 uh, relatively high. But if you are talking about with smallholder and their livelihood, they they cannot afford to do this. Uh, so basically, they can only afford to have the production to meet the market demand and and get small kind of profit after nine to ten years. After that, after that, the the system is no longer productive because of the nutrient depletion and, and they cannot afford to, you know, buy input for food and medicine and things like that. So the only answer to do it is just, you know, going out to get new uh, mangrove to be cut down. So this is unsustainable, but, you know, they, they keep producing it uh, just to sustain the the market uh, to get the access to the market, but the at the cost of deforestation. So having uh, deforestation-free supply chain is is very good approach because you can assure that 
the exporting country can uh, maintain their existing or remaining mangrove, but it does not necessarily mean that the health of the coastal zone is, is kept high in terms okay. of pollution. All right. So pressure from the demand side for a deforestation-free product is very important. Um, Matt, we have talked about the risk, the regulatory framework, and pressure from the consumers, um, including EU and big companies. Uh, but what about the supply side? Do they know about this? What the what the report has done is uh, it's focusing on 27 uh, of the largest publicly listed shrimp producers in the world. And fundamentally, when you look at the reporting of these producers, we're not seeing these companies actually addressing the types of risks that I've just mentioned above in their annual reports or their in earnings calls. So I think coupled with the lack of transparency uh, around some of the operations of these, these companies and the, call, the report calls for greater transparency and improved reporting, I don't believe that the shrimp producers are actually fully recognizing the extent of these risks, um, or certainly they're not disclosing those risks to their investors and, and to public audiences. Hmm. So we're in a very complex situation. My next question to Daniel, to put this into a more uh, optimistic note, do you have any examples where conservation efforts and livelihood activities can go hand in hand? Yes, I've, I've seen a, a place where you can see pristine and nice mangrove. And at the same time, uh, fish production, uh, shellfish production are quite high. So they, they can produce it in a very high productivity. Uh, that is in Papua, where you can see vast mangrove. This is in Kaimana, in Bintuni, in uh, places like Arguni Bay. Um, it's beautiful mangrove. I think half of Indonesian mangrove is in Papua. So if these mangroves are conserved and local community can be assured that their livelihood is protected because they are protecting mangroves, this will be a good combination between conservation and livelihood. The problem is they can produce uh, fish, selfish in a sustainable way, but uh, so remote then they, they do not get the access to market. So I think the, the clue here is how to, to enhance the supply chains from this very beautiful place with healthy product. But the uh, market is facilitated so that they can gain and, and, and earn their living while the mangrove is protected. So there is hope in balancing conservation efforts and local livelihoods. Um, now, Matt, what about the big players? How can they run their business more sustainably? So it's a very good question. And, and I think the one of the answers is for the big players to really think about what is it that investors are, are looking for and in terms of sort of sustainability and how can actually sustainability actions um, be linked to investors and how can investors be brought in to support those actions and both financially but also from a from a knowledge base perspective and what we've seen and the report shellshocked highlights this issue is that global investors and and we're talking major institutions so we're looking at 
big asset owners, so we're looking at big asset managers, they have demonstrated they, they are concerned about deforestation and they're working proactively to address deforestation within their portfolios. One example of that was last year, 246 investors signed a joint statement calling for urgent uh, government action in Brazil to end illegal deforestation of the Amazon rainforest. And, and certain investors have actually withdrawn money um, out of Brazil because of the, the lack of action there. And so I think there's only a, a matter of time before investors actually start focusing in on, on deforestation when it comes to, to these companies, the shrimp companies. And so what can shrimp companies really do? So I think the first part is they need to improve their disclosure. The lack of uh, transparency and disclosure is a huge concern for investors um, who are committed to a future of sustainable resources. And what that would ultimately do is it brings um, greater competitiveness uh, for companies in the marketplace. It, it can make them stand out to investors if companies are demonstrating that they are operating more sustainably. And that competitiveness can can ultimately result in you know, more trade deals because uh, blocks such as the EU will be looking at the most sustainable companies. Uh, it can create huge um, brand value uh, for these companies. And ultimately, it can also reduce um, the, the costs um, of the exposure of these companies to environmental shocks and, and can build environmental resilience. So, so disclosure is, is really important. Governance is, is really important. So demonstrating to investors that companies are, are managing their, their risk properly. And so that I think sustainable governance and that can be done through environmental impact assessments, um, environmental and social um, monitoring systems and presenting these these reports to the market. That's 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 key. OK, so increased transparency and better governance. Yeah, Matt. Um, my last question to both of you. First, I'll go to Daniel. Any call to action can be to government or to communities to save this uh, important ecosystem? Okay, with the high rate of deforestation, 50,000 hectares per year, I think it's time now to call for mangrove deforestation moratorium. That is good for climate change. So stop cutting mangrove to cut the emission, but also good for the local community because they can earn their living, their livelihood is protected because fishing community can earn more money because of the good and healthy product they can produce. Great point, Daniel. Uh, Matt, do you have anything to add? Um, fundamentally, what we're looking for is for companies to, to, to ultimately operate more sustainably. And that means looking at um, reducing the level of antibiotics, improving welfare um, and conditions for shrimp, ensuring that companies are looking after coastal stability and improving the, the environments around um, shrimp farms uh, to ensure that those environments are operating healthily. And then communicating these improvements to their investors, I think, is, is going to be really crucial. And then finally, you know, investors can really support that by um, they can push for greater transparency over operations um, in terms of how these companies are operating sustainably. So investors can, can ask companies to report on, on their sustainability actions. They can ask companies to push um, towards becoming certified 
And while certification is by no means perfect, it is a, a clear sign for investors that companies are moving in the right direction. And then, yeah, we, as we mentioned earlier, is looking for companies to address environmental and disease-based risks and even deforestation risks in their annual reporting and in their quarterly earnings calls and reporting to investors. So I think with that, I, I'll leave it at that as, as part of my response. Thank you so much, Daniel and Matt, for joining us today in our podcast. That's all for today. Thank you for listening and don't forget to subscribe on the link provided. See you on the next episodes and keep safe, everyone.